Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. I am Amy Gunn, and am pleased to announce that we are all here today. I have Erica Slater, Megan Crow, Elizabeth McNulty, Liz Lenovey and Mary Simon. Hello, ladies. Hi. Hello. I feel like we've been on this fabulous summer break, but if fabulous summer break equals trials, I guess that's <laughs> the only way that would fit. But I'm really pleased to have everyone together. Today's episode, we're going to talk about a few different kind of random questions that have come up. And I'll give you some context. I'm a member of an outside organization, and we've been tasked with hiring a new person for a job in the organization. And that included a number of people on the selection committee, and each of those folks has a question to ask the job applicant. And as I was sitting through these job interviews and listening to the questions being asked and also the answers to those questions, it got me thinking about how this group would answer some of those questions, because I think it could be really interesting. And I feel like our listeners likely occasionally have similar thoughtful questions that they ask themselves. So one of the questions was, we all have tasks or assignments that we dislike doing. For you, what are those tasks or assignments and how do you stay motivated to do them. So Elizabeth, does that ring true to you? Is there anything you dislike doing? Plenty of things I do not (laughs) like doing. (laughs) I think that something that comes to mind when I think about things I dislike is something that happens so often in this job (laughs) in the early years is having to do so many things for the first time because it just made me so anxious. And I'm slow rolling out of like getting more used to doing things that I've done a few times now. So it's not as bad. Coming out of COVID, I went to a hearing in the county last week. I hadn't been there since my last year of law school. So like 2017. And I went with Tim at our office and he made me drive there and I didn't know how to get there. (laughs) And he was just like, are you serious? And I was like, look, man, it's been a long time since I've had to drive. Yeah. I was like, everything's on Zoom. He's like, oh, that's right. You're a virtual lawyer. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's the hardest or the thing that I dislike the most. One strategy I use when approaching tasks that I don't like is I just try to do them first, get them out of the way. I think that that's a pretty common approach. But yeah, I'd say that's the thing I dislike most about work things, at least. Erica, do you have anything in particular that you continue to dislike, whether it's in work or otherwise? I think our listeners should know that Amy is very much enjoying putting everyone on the hot seat today. (laughs) I've been doing this for two days, like asking people questions. So I'm just going to keep going. (laughs) You'd think you'd get it out of your system then, but you're like, this is great. This is great. Well, so Elizabeth, what you just said reminded me of some advice I've heard recently. I'm on a committee that is part of the disciplinary section of the Missouri Bar. And one of the things that I've heard repeatedly as advice for lawyers who kind of are struggling is make your hardest call first. Because a lot of lawyers get in trouble when making hard phone calls or, you know, tackling a brief that you don't know, the research area or something. Those are the things we procrastinate on and put off. And that's where lawyers get into trouble. But in my own 
practice or home life, I guess. The things that are the hardest for me to do are similar. It's those things that have the biggest barrier to entry that I'm scared of or intimidate me. And I don't know, at home, I guess that's like hard conversations, but at work, it is those, you know, briefs where I don't know, you know, what the law is or taking a depot with a defense counsel who's being a jerk in the case. And I know that it's going to be a really difficult deposition, like getting ready for that and getting motivated to do those things is really difficult. And I'm sure we've said it on the podcast before, But the way I get motivated is like repeating the mantra to myself of this will be over. This will be over. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You like prove yourself every time over. Like I shouldn't have been so scared of starting that or intimidated by that. Mary. Speaking just from a professional standpoint, I think the biggest struggle for me so far is it's a similar concept of something that's new, but really it's just a lack of experience in any certain area of law. If like a new case comes in or it's your first time working on a certain type of case, anytime I find myself in a position where it's not really a question of what the law is or something that I can find out on my own through research or something, but it's like a long-term strategy type question. I just want to have more knowledge about that. But the only way to have it is to have more experience. The days that are a struggle for me the most is when I just want the answer now. And I am sitting with it and I know all the options, but I just want to have the knowledge in my brain of what the outcomes are. But I don't have the experience yet to know all of them. So I will literally like go down the list in my phone of all the attorneys who are practicing longer than me in this office and just brainstorming, get as much information as I can. And almost every phone call I make, not necessarily different advice, but different outcomes are suggested based on past experience. So every lawyer will have experienced the exact same thing that I'm asking them about. And then we'll offer a similar goal will be established, but there's so many different ways to get there. So the hardest thing for me is like a lack of experience when a decision needs to be made and I'm struggling with which way to go. But the way I get through it is really tapping into my resources here, which are you all, the other attorneys at this office, and brainstorming. And quite frankly, I know you just touched on difficult phone calls. It's not that it's a difficult phone call, but I also... I don't like even knowing that I'm admitting to another attorney that I'm in a position where I need to make a decision and I'm struggling with which way to go. I like knowing that the folks in our office, I can come to anyone and ask a question, but I really like that there are attorneys at this office who I can make the phone call freely without any expectation on the other line that they'll question why I'm calling them or something. There's very good teachers at this office, so I like that, but it is difficult. It's the hardest thing for me is to make the phone call ask the question when I just innately want to know the answer already. Can I add to for our listeners who are younger and if you hear that and you relate to that, that hesitation or wondering, should I ask the question? Even if you're in law school, like worrying about like, do I ask that professor about that? The terrible thing about experience is you can't know what you don't know. And I recall having that feeling when I was practicing the same amount of time as you, Mary. And now since I'm in the middle of not in the middle of my career, but I've been practicing a decade or more. (laughs) I hope that's not the middle. Um, (laughs) Anyway, I have both the experience of needing help from people who have been practicing longer than me, but also can answer like some questions. 
And I can tell you hands down, anytime you're asking a more senior attorney a strategy question or their advice or how they'd approach something, they are never hesitant to give you that information. Mm-hmm. Totally. They feel like legal gods. Yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful because we're sitting True. here, right? And you're sitting there like, how did I learn that? When I have advice I to that? give. Yeah. When did I learn that? And so like, if that's your hesitation, keep that in the back of your mind that the person who you're asking that type of question of often feels great about, you know, puffing up their feathers and saying like, well, let me tell you about this time. Yeah, it definitely gives me less hesitation, obviously, to pick up the phone. But sometimes making that first move to just dial the number and ask the question, sometimes I'm like, oh, is this something I should just know now or? Well, it's because you're worried I assume it's you're worried that the person answering the phone is going to be like, how does she not know that? Right. Right. They're going to judge you because you don't know that yet. Right. And I think what Erica is saying that I'm totally agreeing with is for those of us who have done this a little bit longer, I don't remember when I learned things. And so I'm just happy that I actually know something. And I don't look at the phone call in the idea that, how does Mary not know this? I look at the phone call like, holy crap, I know this. Right. I can help you. I think I can be helpful. But the other thing is, Mary, that when you call and you've just told us that sometimes you call a number of different people and you get different answers. So what that should teach you is that there's no one right, perfect answer. Right. Or approach. Or approach. Because everyone that you're calling presumably has done it before if they're offering you advice. That's not a guarantee. But (laughs) let's just say they actually know what they're talking about. And what they're indicating is that there are different ways, different approaches to deal with different problems. And that should give you the confidence to be like, okay. Because you know you had something in your mind to do. Oh, for sure. You didn't call saying, I have no idea what to do. Right. You always have, I think I know what to do. Just need a little validation. Yeah. And since we all practice very differently, like Mary, you're smart because you'll like call up and be like, well, this person told me this. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> totally. And then we'll have this whole conversation about like, that's crazy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, but that goes to the point of the end goal may be the same, but the approach can be so different because say you're talking about some curveball and opposing counsel throws you. You could have the same goal in your response to that, you know, what the outcome of your response would be. But one attorney is going to take a hardball, you know, shut them down approach and another one's going to lie and wait and figure it out in a different way. Right. You know, and those two attorneys are going to have the same goal, but it's based on how they practice. And I mentioned that because I think that, especially among our group of attorneys, I see that fluctuating between attorney, between, you know, like the same attorney taking a different approach within such a large range, depending on, you know, who the opposing counsel is or what the goal of the case is. But then attorney to attorney, you know, that temperature is going to be hot or calm. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And it's a nice opportunity to have at your own office if you can make those phone calls. So even hearing dialogue about how it is we're encouraged to do so, I just think it'll make for a better, not only like an office environment, but just it'll make for better lawyers. True. One of the things that I dislike doing is declining cases or turning down clients. And the nature of our business is we have to do that I don't know, 90, 95% of the time. Because an hour and a half ago. Yeah. And so we get calls 
We get inquiries on the website. We get emails from referring attorneys. I mean, they come in constantly, either directly to the law firm or to each of us individually. And every single time I read the email, I have an empathetic response. And then I immediately have a depressed response because I have to say no. I can't help this person. And that happens constantly. And it's this weird roller coaster of emotion. And unfortunately, I also allow myself to be agitated. For example, I'll get an email about a terrible medical malpractice situation, and I'll read the details of it. Some hospital error occurred. Somebody went in with COVID, and they weren't able to save that person. And there was also some issues with the machinery or other details. And so my first response is, how awful for that to happen. And my second response is, I can't do anything about this because there are special rules on COVID in Missouri and a lot of states. But then I allow myself to get agitated, like, how does this person think that this is medical malpractice? Why would they think that this is someone else's fault? And that's where I have to really step back because the moment that I look so cynically at that situation and allow that to be a reaction at all, much less one of the first few reactions that I have, then I know I need to think about whether I'm burned out. And I think it's because we work so hard day in and day out on claims that have really important damages, injuries, really important errors that have occurred that should be addressed and have caused terrible harm. And I just have tried for 20 plus years to figure out a way to educate the public with how hard it is to actually be successful in the, our kind of cases. And so it's a constant reminder of I'm failing at the PR of what we do. Because we still, I think, are very much seen as, you know, oh, we just show up, wait for our money to come in. You know, it's just that simple and that easy. And everybody who files a lawsuit isn't deserving. So there's a lot to unpack on just one intake that I have to reject. But the silver lining that I always try to find, even in things that I don't like doing, is how can I turn that around? And so an example of that, and Erica, you mentioned it a moment ago, is when you actually have to have a conversation with the client. What I'm describing is a lot of emails that I just say decline, and then our intake department sends a letter or lets the client know that. This is where we've gotten to the point where I've reviewed records or kind of dug into it a little bit and then have to say, you don't have a case. And that's a really difficult conversation because first and foremost, you have to convey that it doesn't mean we disbelieve you. It doesn't mean there wasn't something that went wrong that affected you. It doesn't mean we don't care. It just means I don't think I can be successful under the law in this situation. Because the worst thing I can think to happen is this person is victimized, so to speak, by the interaction with the healthcare provider or the automobile manufacturer or whatever the case is, and then have someone such that they trust, hopefully at this point, they've hired a lawyer that they trust, tell them they don't have a case. Don't you think it's worse to take someone through two years of litigation when... Learned it the hard way. Yeah. Learned yeah. it the hard way. And because I learned it the hard way, I can then follow up 
my declination with a story, which is, you know, sir, I know this is not what you wanted to hear from me, but I can tell you, I've heard this from many clients over the years. It is worse to have a judgment from a judge or 12 people listening to your case that they don't believe you or your case. So even though this is a hard conversation to have, in my experience, it's better to have that now than to have this confirmation after the emotional expense that you and your family have been through going through the litigation. And a lot of times, depending on their state of mind, they appreciate that, or at least they tell me they appreciate that. The other opportunity is for, and it happens occasionally where a client that you've just declined would say, you know, thank you for at least talking to me. Thank you for having the conversation and explaining it to me because I really didn't understand it all beforehand. And most importantly, thank you for allowing me to advocate for myself, for my loved one who's deceased, for my child who can't advocate for themselves. And I always try really hard to tell that client how proud or impressed I am at how much they've done to investigate and to hold people accountable to the extent that they could, because I do think it's a lot to reach out to a lawyer, to tell your story, to be investigated, so to speak, even if it's just by having someone read your medical records, to dive into your life like that. So I always look at those things as an opportunity to least educate. And it kind of goes back to that whole dilemma that I have, which is why haven't we been able to convince people that there are legitimate medical malpractice claims or motor vehicle claims or slip and fall claims or whatever it is to the extent where people can actually have empathy when it happens to somebody else. And I just feel like that's something that we could do better. And I'm continuously looking for ways, even little small things that I can do to try to make that happen. And I consider every person that I talk to, even when I decline the case, an opportunity to educate them. So maybe the next time they're on the jury, they understand you know, at least what it goes through to get there. I wrote down the same answer. (gasps) Well, I wrote selecting cases slash rejecting cases. There you go. Because I looked at it from a slightly different perspective. And Amy, this actually just came up pretty recently where I had a case come in from a referring attorney and I looked at all the facts of the case and it was a death case. So very emotional. I talked to the family. I do that same thing you do, which I'm sure we all do, where you have an immediate empathetic response of, I want to help these people. I like these people. These seem like nice people that a bad thing happened to and it shouldn't have happened. And I'm going to be the one to fight for justice for this family, for this really nice family. And I started collecting the facts and there were a couple things that sort of bothered me about it. And so what I did was I ran the objective just bullet points by you, person who had not met the family, who had not become emotionally invested in this conversation. And you emailed me back and you said, that's not a good case. You should decline that case. And after reading your email, I went back and I read my own notes and I thought, oh, yeah, I miss that. I miss that. I don't know why I thought that would be so easy to prove. And then on top of all of this, The damages aren't there. It's terrible that this death happened. In Missouri, we work under the cap on medical malpractice cases. And the way that I have found, at least this has been my strategy, and I don't know if clients like this when I do it in the initial intake conversation, but I kind of give like a mini law school lesson. 
where I explain all of the elements and everything we have to prove and what everything means and the definitions and what are the caps and how would that affect them. And then I also, I've gotten into the habit of, I add this into every talk I have of if we decide to investigate the case, what I need you to understand is a doctor can meet the standard of care and still not give good care, if that makes sense. You can get bad medical care, in your opinion, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it rises to the level of a breach in the standard of care. And I have that conversation after I've explained what all of these legal terminology mean. And I don't know how much my clients actually understand it when we're having that initial conversation. But at least if it's a situation which happens the majority of the time where I have to decline the case, I can fall back on. You remember when we had that talk? You remember where we walked through everything and you already are educated on this and now you understand why I can't take your case. I'm not saying you don't have a case and I'm not saying you're not injured and I'm not saying that something bad didn't happen. I'm just saying that under the law, I don't think that we can pursue this any further. And so that's how I've gotten around it. I also, just to sort of follow your point of, you know, trying to make that phone call and have those conversations. Who said it earlier of schedule your hardest call at the beginning of the day? Erica, Erica. I think you said that. That's great advice. Make it the first thing you do. That way it's not hanging over your head for the rest of the day. I don't know what it says about us that we've almost all had the same answer. But when Amy <laughs> told us that she was going to ask us this question, what I wrote down was doing something for the first time. For me, it's a little bit more on the administrative or logistical side of doing something for the first time. It really comes down to you don't know what you don't know. The very first time I was ever taking a deposition, we get to the end and the court reporter is like, do you want your standing order? And I was like, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, can we go off the record? <laughs> I was like, I don't want to say this on the record, but I was like, I have no idea what that means. Like, this is my first time taking a deposition. Like, I have no idea what that question is. And, you know, obviously it was referring to how do you want the order of the transcript? And my mind hadn't even gone there. You know, I was thinking big picture. What do I actually want out of this deposition? What are the questions I'm going to ask? I was not thinking, you know, how does a deposition work? How do you get that information back? Yeah. I wasn't thinking about that at all. And so just doing something for the first time like that and asking that question and being like this moment of panic of this is clearly something I should know because it was asked <laughs> so cavalierly. But anytime I'm doing something for the first time now, that kind of comes to my mind of like, is there going to be something that's not the big legal picture, because I can prepare, I can know the law, I can, you know, think legally and strategically about what I want out of this. But is there going to be something that I don't know about, like logistically or, you know, administratively, because I've never done this before? Obviously, I think the good thing or how to get motivated is to reflect on it afterwards and be like, okay, now I know this. It's another box I can check off of, like, you know, building my legal repertoire and having better practice skills. But that's kind of the thing that I discuss like most in practice. And I think just, you know, reflecting on it and realizing that every new experience makes you a better lawyer. And it's really motivating, I think, to do something for the first time and then think about all the ways that you can do it better the next time. And you went off the record, so whatever. Wait, you just told that our was listeners. The, yeah, the smart thing to do in that moment was, can we go off the record? I have no idea what you just said. I or... would have been like, what? <laughs> yeah. No, hold on. I, I just say, yep. You guys yep. are all I blown it. telling lies because Megan is the most meticulous, like, <laughs> you know, straightforward, genuine person out of the rest of us. We all would have been like, uh-huh. 
and then yeah. come, yeah. Back, yeah. To the yeah. come back to the office. Come back to the office and been like, guys, what did that mean? Yeah, yes. I totally would have been like, what did yes, I standing order? To? And then I'd text someone and be like, I just got a standing <laughs> order in the deposition. Did I win the deposition? Yeah, I still do that. The standing order. What did you say? We would have faked like we knew what we were talking about. So true. Would have taken the risk of being completely and utterly wrong. And so thank God for you. I I really I was most hesitant to do it because I didn't want opposing counsel to know that it was my first deposition because I didn't want in some way for them to take advantage sure. of me because of that. But it was over and I figured it was a safe thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> and I tell you, the more or the longer you do this, the harder it is not to just say, yes, of course. I mean, that would happen to me. And that still does happen to me. And it is deer in the headlights because now I've done this a long time and I should know all these trivial logistical things. And sometimes you just don't, or you forget, or you don't even like, where am I? And like, where do I park? I mean, those kind of things. So good for you, because I totally would have faked it. Right? <laughs> I'll tell a quick Same. story about myself, because this was embarrassing, but it's an example of a rookie mistake. And just saying yes, because you don't know what else to do. You didn't get the standing order? <laughs> no. What, no, I what, want the absolute different order. <laughs> my, I want the sitting down order. Yeah. <laughs> my first trial where I got to first chair, we won, which was great. And after the verdict was read, so Amy wasn't there to like tell me, you know, sit down. (laughs) Amy wasn't there and the verdict is read. We win. I'm ecstatic. And the judge turns to, you know, where the the attorneys are sitting. And we're very close to the defense lawyer. So I can't really see where he's sitting. And the judge goes, would you like to pull the jury? And I stand up and go, yes, your honor, not realizing that if you are the winning side, you don't get to answer that question. And the judge looks at me. I want to hear how many people tell me yes. I was like, I want to know. How how big did I win? Let me know. I want to be in this moment 12 times over. Have them stand one at a time, your honor, please. God, that's awesome. The judge looks at me and goes, because I wasn't married at the time, he goes, Miss Washam, that question wasn't for you. And I sit down and go, okay, judge. And I sit down. So and wonderful. luckily, the defense attorney said, he was like, yes, judge, I would like to pull the Bless, bless her heart. Yeah. Bless her heart. Yeah. She beat me. But and, I, I feel like we've had a lot of no these idea. moments lately I had on the no pod. idea that that wasn't direct. Like, I thought if either side wanted it, you got it. <laughs> Sounds like something um, you do. Yeah. I was like, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. If someone wants it, tell me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's an example of where I just immediately said yes, and I didn't know any better. And now I do. And I was... <laughs> If I wasn't so happy about winning the trial, I would have been mortified. But now it's a funny story. (laughs) And, you know, the other thing about those moments is obviously you learn more as you go. But the more you have a grasp on like what you're doing as an attorney, the less I care about the little questions and not knowing because and you already know you're like, I can try a case. I can take any deposition. I can do I can argue any motion, whatever it is. You know that you're capable of doing that. So if someone says something like, do you want a standing order? I'd be like, what do you mean? standing because you're like I just took the deposition like I know <laughs> I just did the thing but you know it's, right. it's nice to know those answers but at least the longer you're going the more confidence you have so if someone wants to ask you a question you can just be like well what do you mean by that and then you can put it through your lawyer analytical brain and make right. the correct decision but I completely agree with Erica that I absolutely would have said yes please yeah. one Calling standing you all out. Megan's thank you better than all of us so okay. true <laughs> yeah, two standing yeah, too better. I'll How many it. do I get? <laughs> well, thank you all so much for this lively discussion. I appreciate everyone being back in person for this episode. And we hope our listeners 
have been able to reflect a little bit on some of the things that they don't like doing and maybe learn a little bit about how to get through it. So thanks again for listening to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. We drop episodes every Wednesday and would love to hear your feedback at heelsinthecourtroom.law. Thanks. Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan would love to hear from you. Send your thoughts to comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law and check out other legal podcasts in the Simon Law Firm Library. The Jury Is Out with John Simon focuses on lifelong learning to elevate your practice. Subscribe today. Subscribe today.